Well, I've jumped ahead. My name's Brian. I'm usually leading worship here. And uh, I'm just so excited to be with you and to share God's word with you this morning. If you remember, we've been in this series the entire summer. This, this series about how religion ruins everything and how uh, this letter from Paul to the church in Galatia has pointed out some really important things for us to learn. Now, letters are unique. Anybody uh, received a letter from a loved one or like a more personal letter? I'm not talking about like bills in the mail. You know, it's kind of a, a, a thing of the past, isn't it? You know, I wish that I still received letters because they're really sweet and fun. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll start sending some and maybe I'll get some back. Uh, but the, the thing about letters that's unique is that it's kind of a one-sided conversation, at least uh, when you send it. And so it might be tempting for us to, to think one-dimensionally. And for me, I'm talking personally here. It's easy for me to forget that this is an actual voice to an actual audience. And that's what we've heard for weeks now. Now, in these conversations that Paul has been having with this church, we see, uh, we see some reasons for this repetition. And we've all felt that in the last few chapters, this repetition of uh, not adding anything to the gospel. That's an important thing to repeat. And it's an important thing to remember then and now. There's reasons for these hard hitting criticisms that we see to stop the divisions within the church because God's church needs to be harmonious and unified and about that mission that Christ came. We also see reasons for explicit call outs. Paul can be a, a pretty harsh guy, but he saw the value and he saw the importance of calling these individuals out, the Judaizers and the foolish Galatians. Have you ever been called foolish before? That, that would hurt, right? <laughs> but it's easy to forget the fact that this is a conversation and just so we're all on the same page, maybe you haven't uh, watched the past few sermons, uh, these struggles that we see in the Galatian church uh, are simply this, false teaching, works-based faith, law-based salvation, legalism, moralistic guides to life. And then uh, last week we saw how uh, sometimes we fall or the Galatian church fell into slavery rather than sonship and daughtership to the king, to our father in heaven. Now, the implications of this are huge. And again, it's easy to forget when we get in the rhythm of reading through these scriptures of how important this is. But in Galatians 5, 2, it says, if you accept circumcision, if you accept the law over Christ's fulfillment of the law, if you accept anything other than the gospel brought by Jesus Christ, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Let me say that again. Christ will be of no advantage to you. Like the advantage, the fulfillment, the way, the truth, the life will be of no advantage to you. That is serious. So we better listen up. This morning, we're going to look at what it looks like, what it is to live in the spirit. And I'll be honest, this is something that's hard to describe. So I will do my best. And I know scripture will describe it well. But if I were to sum this, this idea up into one word, that word would be freedom. Freedom. Freedom found in Christ. Freedom found in Christ alone. You know, there's something magical about childhood. Uh, it's, it's this one kind of nuanced thing. And it's also magical when you're a parent of a child. And that magic is found in learning how to ride a bike. 
you know, my, my children, God bless them. They're having a little bit of trouble figuring out how to do it. And uh, I'd be lying if I said it's not a little bit frustrating for me because I just want them to enjoy the freedom and the joy of hitting the road with two wheels underneath you, you know? Riding a bike is so fun. And I remember when I was learning how to ride a bike, uh, my dad was telling me all of these parameters, right? You know, and it usually came in the form of like, don't go past the, the driveway, the end of the driveway, or don't, you know, don't go past the mailbox, don't go past the end of the road. And then he would teach me all these things, you know, stay on the right side of the road, don't swerve over that, that uh, white line on the road. All these, all these words from my father kind of guiding me and leading me. And I remember the day, I remember the day that I was given my first like legitimate bike. Check this thing out. It was amazing, all right? I think I was about seven years old in this picture. And man, I thought I was the coolest thing. It's like, man, this, this bike is, it, just, it, means, it means a whole new world for me of opportunities and freedom. And so up to this point, again, my dad had given me all these parameters. And so I finally got this bike. And to my shock, he was like, all right, have fun. I was like, what? Like can, to the end of the road? And he goes, yeah. What? So, you know, I, I took that bike and I was free. I grabbed the handlebars and I rode all over Oregon City. I thought I was a king. It was amazing. <laughs> There's nothing like that feeling of being free. And freedom is an incredible thing, isn't it? If, if you have Jesus in your heart and you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, you have experienced the freedom and the life change that comes with that. But there's other, other manifestations of freedom in our life. For some, they spend their entire life acquiring and preserving freedom. Whether it's financial freedom, vocational freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom of religion. Freedom's a great thing. But this odd thing happens sometimes with certain individuals, and sometimes this happens to me. Freedom can be terrifying. Freedom can be terrifying. There was a small sliver of that terror when I finally learned how to drive and I got, you know, I got a car and it was like, whoa, I can go wherever I want. That's kind of scary. <laughs> a lot of opportunity. For some, it might be the freedom to choose wrong to fail, with the freedom to fail and the freedom to succeed. You know, as parents, I think we, we live in this tension of like, how much, how much freedom do I really give my kids? Because they end up doing stuff like this, where you're like, uh, I don't know if that's a good idea. You know, I, I feel myself, like I'm annoyed at myself for being like, oh, don't do that. Because Honestly, that looks super fun. <laughs> but I keep running the reel in my brain of like, my son is going to hit the ground and crack his head open and then we're going to have to go to the hospital, you know? So, <laughs> but no matter how you view freedom, um, there's, a, there's something really important uh, that comes along with freedom and that's responsibility. And that responsibility comes in the form of how we use our freedom. How we use our freedom. Uh, whether we use it to, uh, to uplift and to encourage and to be a light to those around us? Or if we use that freedom to tear down, if we use that freedom to offend, to be defensive, to uphold our pride and our selfish ambition, freedom to engage the flesh. These are all things we're gonna talk about this morning, but if I were to give you a bottom line or kind of an encapsulation of what we're talking about, 
It's that we both have freedom and righteousness through faith in Christ and we are justified by him alone. Amen? Amen. All right, we're all on the same page. So we're gonna get into the passage this morning, but before we do, I'd love to pray. Lord, thank you for this, this opportunity, this moment to look into your scripture. And we don't wanna ever take these moments lightly because this is your word. So Lord, would you speak in a mighty way? Would you direct your church? Because we need your direction and we want to be a part of and uphold your purposes. It's too important to miss. So be with us, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, we're in Galatians 5 today, and we're starting in verse 13. If you don't, that's all right. It'll be on the screen behind me. So Paul starts with this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. All right. So holistically here, Paul is speaking about the law in a positive way, in a positive light. And he's speaking of it in terms of love. If you love, you fulfill the law that has gone before us. This law that has been such a divisive point in this entire letter and in this entire church. Now, there was likely an assumption at this time that uh, if you were following the spirit, you'd be abandoning the law and there'd be like loose morality, which does sound a little bit scary, doesn't it? This was and is still highly debated in theological circles, uh, this, this propensity to loose morality. But like I said, freedom comes with responsibility. It comes with a responsibility to remember our father's words and to test the spirit against his word. For he says, I am, I am holy, therefore live holy lives. So for following him and being like him, we will live holy lives. It's not about rules. It's not about not going past the end of your driveway. It's about building character and then being free, free to love and to live and to be fulfilled. Love others. It's not about restrictions. It's not about judgments. Let's unpack this passage a little bit. So the, the first word that stands out to me is this word called. Brothers and sisters, you were called, were called to be free. This word in the Greek is kaleo, which means to be named, designated. Honestly, it's like, it's like who you are, who we are. You are called. It's like Abram to Abraham, called by his name. And it's not a suggestive calling. It's like, oh, hey, come on over here and do that. No, it's like, this is what I call you. This is who you are. It's a defining statement. It's a deeply valuing statement. And we're called, we are free. We have liberty written into our future with, with Jesus. A few weeks ago, my family had the privilege to travel to the Midwest. Some people don't view that as a privilege, but I do, all right? <laughs> and while we were there, we visited the zoo in Omaha, Nebraska. Now, I don't know if you know this, I didn't know this, but this, this zoo is one of the best in the world. Who would have thought in Omaha, Nebraska? I guess they gotta have something, right? No offense to Nebraskans, it's a beautiful state, I'm just kidding. Um, 
But uh, the, the zoo was wonderful. And the reason that it's so notorious is that it's really unique. It has incredible habitats. Um, there's a jungle where you can kind of be amidst the monkeys. Like it was, it was really, really neat. But uh, you know, I love the zoo. I grew up going to the zoo in Portland, uh, but there's something unique about a zoo. Um, all the animals are behind bars or behind glass or in a pit. They're in captivity, right? Now, I'm not going to go into, you know, a huge discussion about the ethics of free versus, you know, captive animals. Um, But what's interesting is that when you uh, observe these animals, you see something in their eyes that's different than what you see in an animal that's free. It's It's like a blankness, kind of almost a voidness of what they were designed to be, which is free, right? We were designed to be free. We were designed to have freedom. We were called to this freedom. Freedom from the bondage of sin and the snares of death and the the traps of pride and selfishness and, and insecurities. Free from the flesh. New creations in Christ. And we'll get more into the flesh part later, but freedom means we have the power to choose to be in captivity or not, to be slaves or to be sons and daughters. So what are we choosing to do with that freedom? This passage goes on, it says, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Indulge the flesh. This word indulge is interesting. In the Greek, it's a foreman. A foreman, and it means a platform, an opportunity. It was often actually used in a military sense of like a starting point of military operation. Some serious decisions are made out of this center. In Romans 7, 8, we see Paul use this uh, as sin taking opportunity to sin. And we have opportunities every day, don't we? You had opportunities this morning. You had an opportunity to, to wake up or to sleep in. I'm glad you woke up. (laughs) We have opportunities to brush our teeth or not. We have opportunities to have toast or donut, coffee or tea or water if you're one of those people. (laughs) Uh, To take the park way or the wrong way, right? (laughs) The first thing that I was told when I moved to Ben was take the parkway whenever you can. And I was like, oh no, take the parkway whenever you can. <laughs> it's caught up in all that crazy traffic. We have choices to be healthy in all the things that we do. Or we have choices to not be healthy in all that we do. Every single day, this platform. So do not use your platform or your opportunity for the flesh, the unspiritual life. What's interesting about this word flesh is that it's often connotated with the law. And the law is the curse in which brings us to the realization that we need a savior. So why on earth would we choose something that constantly reminds us of something we already have? Don't use that platform to indulge in the flesh. Rather, I love how Paul doesn't just leave it at that because I'm a pretty simple brain. And so I'm like, okay, I won't do that but what am I supposed to do? (laughs) So he continues and says, rather serve one another humbly in love for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Simple, right? Hmm. As a pastor, I absolutely live for being with people. I love 
people. I love walking life with people. I love helping people. But people can be complex. Do you agree with that? (laughs) Some people are nice and some people are not so nice. And as a pastor, I've uh, interfaced and worked with and had opportunity to serve both. One particular story, I remember a past student of mine, her family was awful to me. I'm not gonna pull any punches. In fact, they didn't either. I became a punching bag for them. They would insult me. They would berate me. They would uh, go out of their way to make it, make it known that I was this big. And that hurt because I'm human too, right? Well, one day came when uh, their daughter had some trouble and she ended up in the hospital. And uh, I had a, a platform and an opportunity. I had a freedom to choose what I was going to do. I could have chose to ignore the call. Oh, the family was terrible to me. Why would I go and why would I go and love them by, you know, ministering to their daughter? Now I'm not telling you this story to sing my own praises, but that's a miracle that I was able to grab my keys and go and be with that family, even though days, maybe even hours, I don't remember, but just before that, they were spitting in my face. That's the spirit. That's the freedom that we have as new creations to not subscribe and be under the slavery of the flesh anymore. Isn't that exciting? People look at that and they're like, what is wrong with you? (laughs) And I'm like, bring it on. That's great. Uh, So this brings up a good question. And, uh, you know, I don't know what you were planning on or expecting coming to church this morning, but it's about to get hot in here, okay? So here's my question. Have you ever had the opportunity to love? But instead, you responded in anger, jealousy, and selfish ambition. I could probably ask this question of myself every single day. Because unfortunately, we are flawed. And I'm just trying to make you feel a little better if you're saying, yeah, that's me. I do it too. (laughs) It's difficult. How many of us are currently participating in choosing the flesh, in choosing this hatred, in choosing retaliation? For me, in reading this letter to Galatia, after seeing this throughout this entire interaction, we see the destruction and the distraction that it can cause. Now, interpersonal relationship, okay, but I gotta remember that I'm part of a body. I'm part of a bride that Christ calls the church, that calls it his bride. And so when I decide to live in the flesh, I am misrepresenting my Lord and Savior. That's serious. And we see, again, we see the destruction, the division, the pride, the willingness to give in to these impulses. The solution? Humbly serve and love. But you don't, you don't understand, Pastor, you don't understand how hard, you know, this person is. No, I, Humbly serve and love. This is crazy. (laughs) It's so simple and yet it's so difficult. But the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Now, Paul understood. Remember Paul's past life before he started working for the good side, right? (laughs) Uh, he knew the law inside and out. 
He understood the ramifications and the significance of what the Galatians were struggling with. The Mosaic and Abrahamic covenants, but he understood wholeheartedly and personally the fulfillment that Christ brought to that. So what's our response? To love your neighbor as who? Yourself. Which brings us to a good point. I want us to look inward for a second. How well do you love yourself? What do you see when you look in the mirror? And I'm not talking literally. <laughs> what do you think God sees? Uh, the reason we went to Nebraska was not to go to the zoo. <laughs> uh, even though that would have been cool. And some people, I think, do that. Uh, we went to Nebraska because I got invited to speak at another youth camp this summer. A high honor to go and present the gospel to a bunch of young people. And I started the week, which the week's theme was set apart, what it looks like to be set apart and that God has set us apart from the world. And I started the entire week out of the passage in Ephesians 2.10, where God calls us his masterpiece. And we started that foundation for the entire week of how God loves us, a message of forgiveness, of self-forgiveness, of struggling through self-worth, and defining oneself with Christ's love, care, and prevenient grace. In the process of that week, and again, I'm not saying this to boast in myself, but boast in the Lord, 24 students accepted Christ because they finally understood that they could love even though they weren't loved by people around them. You know who else accepted the Lord? My five-year-old daughter from daddy preaching. <laughs> Whew, I, 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 there's nothing better than that. That was the first night. So I was like, all right, honey, we can go home. <laughs> I think that's why we're supposed to come here. Uh, and these, all these cornfields, goodness. Uh, but the reason I'm bringing this up is because we have to let that love be the foundation in which we love. Because this is impossible to be humble and to serve those that maybe don't, by the world's definition, deserve it. But by doing this, we turn the world upside down. We turn the flesh upside down by living by the Spirit in this way. We should also consider the possibilities of what this could do. In John 13, 35, one of my favorite passages, it says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What a wonderful way to show people what we're all about. More than us, what he's all about. In Matthew 5, 16, it says, let your good deeds shine before all men so that it will glorify your father that is in heaven. Good deeds being rooted and bound in love. Simply put, our love can bring people to Jesus. What an awesome sacrifice of pride and selfishness. What an awesome purpose behind this. Paul continues in this passage in Galatians. After he said all this, he says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. I don't know about you, but I love God's church. I love New Hope, but I love every church. I love the church because I can see what it does. I can see how it changes lives and changes hearts forever. 
That's why I love using my vacation time to go and speak to students because the impact is incredible. And all those churches, we get to lift those churches up and love and serve them. And man, what an incredible system that God has set up by placing the freedom in his people and letting us be a part of that incredible mission. This is a difficult thing for me to say, and I want you to know that I have been a part of this as well. I want this to feel like less of a hammer and more of uh, a shepherding hook, all right? (laughs) But what if instead of our church, not just New Hope, but Christ's church, what if instead of being known for being divisive and hate-filled and judgmental and dysfunctional, we were known for making every effort to be loving, caring, sacrificial, and humble. What if? Now, the reason I'm saying this is because in some circles, in some circumstances, this is the understanding of who we are. And that is not okay with me. And it shouldn't be okay with you either. In Ephesians 4, 2 through 3, it says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Brothers and sisters, we're called to freedom. Use that freedom to serve. Now we're into the part of the passage you probably know. (laughs) And Andy said something really funny last week. He said, now we're onto the fun stuff. And you know what? He's right. (laughs) This is fun stuff, so let's dive right into it. Galatians 5, 16 through 18. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So this first phrase, walk by the Spirit, How many walkers out there? You like to get out and just walk. We've got a lot of great walking trails here. Yeah. So walking has this image and it is very much upheld with the term used here uh, to, to almost be occupied with what you're doing. It's slower than running. So you're not uh, rushing through anything. You're being guided and uh, you're following and you're living. You're being guided by the spirit. You're living in the spirit. Uh, Last October, I had the opportunity to drive back over to Portland. Uh, I'm in a master's program right now. And part of that master's program, I have to be in class two weeks out of the year. So October in Bend can be horrible weather-wise, or it can be really nice. And so on this particular day, it was sunny, it was warm. I think I even had shorts on, go figure. And I get in my car and I start driving towards Portland. Well, I didn't check the weather (laughs) and I got... Uh, onto Mount Hood, and it was like whiteout blizzard. It was the most bizarre thing ever. And I started to panic because I couldn't see more than maybe 15 feet in front of my car, and I'm on a highway. And to add to it, there was a lot of traffic. So it's not as though I could just stop and wait it out. I don't know where the, the end of the road goes off. There's some pretty dicey places on that pass. And so uh, I ended up remembering... It's funny, I actually, this actually just clicked. I remember uh, my dad explained what a fog line is when I was riding my bike. Don't go over the fog line. It's kind of like the, the built-in bike lane, right? So, oh, okay, cool. Uh, 
I remembered him saying, you know, the, the fog line will follow the edge of the road. So if you're, you know, you can, you can drive with that in your peripheral view too. So that fog line, I drove on that thing for like 40 miles. In fact, it got so bad that the rumble strips on the fog line were then my guide. I, if my car wasn't going like this, like I knew that I was in trouble, right? <laughs> but I was so thankful for that guide. And you, you know, the spirit is that guide in our life. And it's crazy to me that some think it's, it's possible to live a fulfilled life in Christ without it. We have to walk in the spirit as though we're riding on that line, as though our life depended on it. He continues in, this, in, the, in the next passage here. And he says, for you will not gratify the desires of the flesh if you're doing this. They are opposed to one another. And that's of great hope to me because sometimes I can get confused with morality. The world loves to lie to us about what is right and what is wrong. But the spirit guides and speaks to us. You know, Paul understood this really well. In Romans seven fifteen. he says, I do not understand what I do. What I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. I, I'm kind of laughing because I've been in this position. Have you been in this position? It's like, man, why am I choosing to eat this donut? That's a really shallow example, but you get the picture. It's like, why did I eat three donuts? I don't know. It just happened, you know? They're, go they're all gone. <laughs> uh. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, I want to say something. And this is not to defame or to talk negatively about anyone in my past. But I grew up with an understanding and thus kind of under a leadership that sold morality as salvation. I don't think they meant to do that. But what I grew up understanding, and it wasn't until I was in college, 20s, what I grew up understanding is that if I sinned or failed, I lost my salvation. More than that, that was my lens in which I was evangelizing and spreading the gospel. Hey, you just do these things and, you know, Jesus is involved, right? Because, you know, the scripture tells us that, but, you know, you have to do these things. Now, when we accept Christ into our heart, the old is gone, the new has come. And he gives us a deposit called the Holy Spirit to guide us. But this is, this, this type of moralistic Sal salvation is so toxic because our behavior, how we love God with our lives comes after we've accepted his love and forgiveness. And if we don't do that, unfortunately, sometimes that's projected out and we become judgmental and we become demonstrative in the way that we treat people. It's not loving. So don't do this. <laughs> our freedom is in Christ alone. Last chunk of this passage, a couple notes before we get into it. Um, the lists, right? And we're going to say some funny words. Um, but the lists, these aren't comprehensive, all right? These aren't covering every single work of the flesh, every single fruit of the Spirit. Remember, this is a letter. And so Paul is very intentional in which ones he's laying out there because it was most likely an issue that the Galatians needed to, to confront. Specifically, and we'll see this in a second, specifically socially between one another. So in Galatians 5.19, it says this, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, 
drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. <sighs> okay. What's interesting about this passage, if you look really closely at the punctuation, he literally divided all of those into four categories. The first being sexual sin. The second being religious sin. The third, and the one that has the most definition and is of key interest, is social sin. And the last being related to drunkenness and overindulgence. So this third area of, of, of social ramification, these works of the flesh are destructive to the church. They're destructive to God's bride, Christ's bride. And y'all, this is relevant, not just to Galatia, but it's relevant to us today. It was interesting. God always allows me to experience things that he's talking about. Um, while I'm prepping to do things like this. And yesterday, uh, we, we decided to go to Elk Lake, love Elk Lake. But on a Saturday in August, I knew what we were up against and we got a really late start. So we drive in and there's cars everywhere. There's like pop tubes everywhere. I'm like, oh man, this is mayhem. But lo and behold, we drove to my favorite spot in the Deus area and it was open. I was like, oh, sweet. So I run down there. I was gonna put a towel on the, on the table to reserve it. And then I saw a chair through the trees, like maybe 15 feet away. And I came around and it was a group of young adults. I was like, oh, hey, <laughs> like, hey, go, hey, uh, are you okay with this, you know, setting up right here? And they're like, oh yeah, that's fine. I thought they were actually going to just tell us like, you know, actually we were, we've been here for a while. Like, can you give us a little space? Which would have been fine. Anyway, so we had a great day together, uh, uh, us in this group. You know, we uh, talked about paddleboarding and where they're from. And, uh, you know, it was a great time. And we started to chit chat. And finally it came to the conversation of like, hey, what do you what do? you do?" Which is always kind of a funny one for me because it could go either way. You know, oh, you're a pastor, cool. We're like, oh, you know, clammy, see you later, right? And uh, this gentleman, he was so nice. This gentleman, he, you know, made a joke. He's like, oh, you know, you're a pastor, cool, great. You know, sorry for the conversations that we had all day and sorry for the language and all, you know, all this like apologetic stuff. And then he made a really interesting comment. He said, so like, you have to be nice. <laughs> and I laughed. I was like, sure, yes. And I didn't say any, I, you know, I didn't have any witty come back. So it was just all lighthearted and they left. But I started thinking about that. And I was like, that is a really realistic uh, perspective that I think a lot of people have, not just of pastors, but of Jesus followers, that we're all about rules, that we don't like bad words, um, that we don't like people that use them, and that we have to be nice. This is sad to me because somewhere along the line, those people and many people that I interface with and I know are out there have an impression that that's all we care about. Living a perfect life. But what if they knew us for our love 
in the way that we cared for one another. Not in a manipulative way, not in a leading way, but in a way that represents Christ. A way that is surprising and different and fresh to the world. Paul finishes, finishes this with our favorite, Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Love. It's not the only fruit, but it encapsulates all of these. In fact, in Colossians, it tells us that it binds all of them perfectly together in unity. Love is so powerful that we seek it out. And unfortunately, I've seen people not find it in the church. And so they've gone elsewhere. Clubs, gyms, bars, friend groups. That also is sad to me because people are either repulsed or avoidant or abandoning their faith because we can't get this right. So this is humbling, but it's also exciting because we're free to do this. We're free to love and to serve. We have the choice and Lo and behold, the Spirit gives us opportunities to do this. The band's going to come, and we're going to sing a final song. And then afterwards, we're going to celebrate the Eucharist. We're going to partake in communion together. But as they're coming, I want to ask you this question, and I want you to really think about it. So in preparation for worship, why don't we stand to eliminate distraction. We'll be standing if you're able. And I want you to close your eyes and I want you to contemplate this. What will you do with your freedom? What will you do with the freedom you have in Christ. You know, there may be some in this room that have not experienced that freedom yet. And I feel prompted by the Spirit to give opportunity for that. In Scripture, it tells us that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved from our sin and we will receive this freedom that we're talking about this morning. So if that's you, if you have never done that, may I encourage you to think, to confess, and to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if you do that this morning, do me a favor, tell somebody. You can come and find me after service. You can go to the, the Welcome Center. Make that decision for freedom today. But as we contemplate this question, 
Let's worship together of the Spirit's guidance and truth. Let's worship.
living by the Spirit, being in His presence. This guidance creates holiness and unity and fellowship within the church, but it also brings communion with the Father, that same communion that we're celebrating today. In Matthew 26, it says, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Let's take the bread together. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's drink the cup together. Jesus, we are so thankful that upon faith in you, we have so much. We have everything. Lord, will we leave this place encouraged by the grace that was proveniently given for us by way of death on cross and raised from the grave. Help us live this reality. Help us serve humbly and love others as you love us. Help us see this fruit of your spirit manifest itself in our lives that we know that we are following and living by your spirit. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your guidance. We thank you for your love. We pray that you'd walk with us today. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen.